0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, This is going to be more of a sound bite than a sermon, but that's good. That was fun, wasn't it? We should do that more often. Let's do it next week. Um, Just encourage you, if you were prayed for, just keep kind of marinating in God's presence. Keep expecting him to be working in your life. I think as Simon said, one lady in the last service, she got healed during the message. Um, So let's be expectant for God to be moving in that way. So just wave at me if you were here last week and you heard me start a message on Daniel chapter six. Wave at me if you weren't here. Where, Where were you? I'm joking. Well, if you weren't here last week, you missed probably the best sermon that you ever could have heard. Jesus came back last week. We were all raptured. Revival broke out, but you missed it. No, I'm joking. So last week we were exploring this well-known story in the book of Daniel where Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and King Darius uh, throws him there because Daniel refused to pray to King Darius but instead made the private godly choice to pray only to his God And he last week was thrown into the lion's den and I realised that we didn't get to the end of the story and some of you may have been worried about Daniel this week. Did he get eaten by the lions? Did he survive? What happened? What's the end of the story? So, I thought we'd do the end of the story today and... Here's uh, here's what happens. It'll be no surprise to you, those of you that know the story well. Daniel gets delivered miraculously by God, and the king rushes over to the lion's den the next morning to look in and to see if Daniel is still alive or not and finds him alive. And this is what we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then right at the end of Daniel chapter 6, we get this little kind of soundbite. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. One of the remarkable things about Daniel is that he influenced the nation in which he was in because he learned how to navigate power well. Daniel consistently through his life was given incredible influence and incredible power. He was a foreigner in a foreign land. He was an exile. And yet during those 60, 70 years that he was in exile in Babylon, he got extraordinary opportunity. Here is another one of those moments. Having come out of the lion's den again, he prospers under the king's reign. And actually what we do with power and influence matters a great deal. Here are the other times that Daniel gets incredible responsibility. Daniel chapter 1. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and his mates with long names. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians in his whole kingdom. Daniel chapter two, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Daniel chapter five, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the whole kingdom. And then Daniel chapter six, verse three, now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom Daniel was a man who was used to having incredible opportunity and given incredible power and as the great theologian Uncle Ben once said to Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility you can get great theology from Marvel films with great power comes great responsibility responsibility And last week we began to look at how what we do in private and what we do when we're under pressure are one of the two great battlegrounds of character development. But there is a third battleground and it's this, what do you do with power? Abraham Lincoln said this, nearly all men can stand adversity but if you really want to test a man's character give him power. If you really want to see what's in someone, just give them a little bit of authority and a little bit of influence. I was remembering a time when I was a student at Newcastle University, and I would come back to Sidcup, the centre of the known universe, uh, where Carol, my wife, is from, Simon's from as well, and I would come back and work at the Queen Mary's Hospital in Sidcup in my vacations. And I would get up at... Half past five in the morning, and I would walk over to the hospital where I would kind of clean and buffer floors and change bins all day and to make a little bit of money. And I remember when I first started at the hospital, I was I was given to this slightly older guy, Stuart, who was to show me the ropes. And so he would kind of show me how to use the buffing machine and difference between a black bin and a yellow bin and flammable materials and hazardous substances and all that kind of stuff. And so he was kind of showing me the ropes. But very kind of early on into the, his kind of coaching of me, he suddenly turned to me one day and he said, "You're a very nervous person, aren't you?" And up to that point, I hadn't been nervous, <laughs> but from that point, I suddenly was. As Stuart, every time I was around him, took the opportunity to use the little bit of power that he'd been given over me to just take little subtle jibes at me the whole time I was working there. And I just reflected on that moment both at the time and today that isn't it amazing what a little bit of power will show you about someone's character? And the reality is, all of you are powerful people. You have all been given power over something or in some area of influence. It might be that you, you have employees or it might be that you have control over finances or you have power in your communication or the way that you coach or train other people or in your family or in your friendships. All of us, to some degree or another, are given power by God. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Because power really reveals the character of a man or woman. And Daniel is a man who showed himself as an exceptional leader because he handled power well. Proverbs puts it like this fire tests the purity of silver and gold but a person is tested by being praised what happens to you when someone praises you what comes out of here huh. what comes out of here one leadership writer Kerry newolf says failure is by nature humiliating huh. how many of you found that to be true it crushes pride success does the opposite It naturally inflates a leader's pride, it's intoxicating. It takes both great self-awareness and great self-control to handle success. To not let the reports of your own brilliance or accomplishments go to your head. The very best leaders remain humble, grounded and even self-depreciating. They don't claim every perk of office and regularly help people who can't help them back. They avoid the gravitational pull of self-focus and instead stay focused on the mission before them and before everyone. The ultimate test of a leader's character is not failure, it's success. That is the ultimate test when everything's going well, when you're the captain of your own ship, when you're prosperous and successful and things are fruitful and all seems to be going in your favor and you think I I am doing pretty well right now. I have a lot of influence, I have a lot of significance. That right there might possibly be the biggest test that you've ever gone through. Because you really want to see what's in a man's character, give him some power, give him some prosperity, give him some success because what happens when suddenly you get power and you get influence, suddenly you have multiplied options. Nice ringtone. <laughs> suddenly you have multiplied options when you have power and influence and it's very easy to stop doing the very things that got you them in the first place. And of course the great trap when you're handling power and success is pride. It's pride. I was in Zimbabwe last year with a team from this church and my family and right at the end we went on this safari trip and one of the things that you could do was you could kind of go on a horse ride around this kind of bush area and see giraffes and elephants and all this kind of stuff and now my name Philip, it means lover of horses but I want you to know that's not a very accurate description. I was absolutely petrified sitting on this massive great whacking horse. And, you know, I'm kind of literally, I, I feel like I'm going to die at any moment on this horse. I, I fell off nearly a thousand times in the space of an hour. It was ridiculous. And I was just literally holding on for, for dear life. I mean, I couldn't concentrate on any giraffes. I was just concentrating on staying alive. And, um, and halfway through, I said to our tour guide, I said, oh, does, does my horse have a name? He said, oh, yeah. He said, your horse is called Pride. I was like, oh, no. Because immediately through my head went, Pride always goes before the fall. <laughs> oh no. Jesus, you're trying to teach me a lesson? I'm so sorry. <laughs> pride is a great trap when actually you have power. When you combine power with pride, that is a dangerous combination. Pride does come before the fall because scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to know how to receive grace in your life, then choose humility. If you want God to oppose you, choose pride. (laughs) Now, just a little bit of friendly advice. If you're choosing someone to be on your team, choose God. Okay, make, make him the first pick on your team. If you find yourself in a tug of war and God is on the other side of the rope, there are problems in store, my friend. There are problems in store because he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble and I actually think this is one of the great tests for our church right now in this season because while our church is far from perfect there is no such thing as a perfect church I don't know if you've discovered that yet but there is an awful lot in this church that is going really, really well <laughs> praise God there's an awful lot in this church where I actually think, wow God, you're you're on the move in this place. There are so many things happening that never used to happen or didn't happen with the same scale or effectiveness. And I think, God, this is an incredible moment where you are giving us power and influence and authority and you're raising us up to be a voice. I mean, here are just a a few kind of interesting stats. You know, in the last year, 184 people have attended our Alpha and Beta courses in this church. 184, that's more than at any other point in the whole of the history of this church. You can get excited about any of these at any point you want. Um, There are over over 100 people who've made first-time commitments to Christ this year through our kids' work, our youth work, through our street work, through TSM, amazing. So Our our amazing kind of work amongst the poor, it just seems to be going from strength to strength. I love our King's Arms Project. I'm so proud in the right way of our King's Arms Project. It's phenomenal. Do you know this year, they had 117 positive move-ons from their houses. That's people reconnecting with family, going into supported accommodation, going into independent accommodation. Rough Sleepers uh, Project has seen 20 positive move-ons. Pathways to Employment have seen 40 people get into volunteer. Work, nine of which have got into paid work. That is phenomenal. That is amazing. So our project has served. 11,500 evening meals to clients this year. 11,500 evening meals to people that wouldn't otherwise have had one. That is phenomenal. We have 54 people sleeping in beds provided by the King's Arms Project in Bedfordshire, including 11 refugees. That is stunning, absolutely stunning. Do you know that this year, on average, 620 people across the world find online content from the King's Arms and watch it like from right around the world this year over nearly 30,000 people from around the world have watched videos going from this church what happens on this Sunday that's thanks to people like Marco who make that happen that is phenomenal that is amazing since January there have been 33 ministry trips to different places around the world we're regularly serving around 34 churches we're gathering prophets and evangelists from loads of different places what's the point of all this the point is unless we handle success well we will cap our influence at this point but if we continue to do the things that we did at first we can turn our this influence into this influence and introduce thousands of people to Jesus because that's the big idea the big idea of us being here is that we can introduce thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Jesus that's why we're here And one of the great tests of this church is what are we going to do in an era and a season of success? Because if we don't do the things that God is here in the first place, then we have just decided where we're going to stop growing. Arthur Wallace once said this, that any move of God will only last as long as the spirit of prayer that first inspired it. Did you get that? Any move of God will only last as long as the spirit of prayer that first inspired it. And what so often happens when we get power is we stop doing the things that we did at first. Can I encourage us, church family, let's keep doing the things that we did at first. Let's be radical worshipers. Let's be radically obedient to God. Let's radically love the poor. Let's radically love each other. Let's build radical community with one another. Let's listen to the Father's voice and do what he's saying. Let's continue to do those things. Because what God is here in the first place is what's going to take us on. And I think for Daniel, as a man who received successive promotions and power and influence in a nation like Babylon, I think at every step of the way he would have been saying, God, this was all from you. I need you as much now as I ever did. God, I'm depending on you for my every breath. I can do nothing apart from you. If you don't come through, I am finished. God, I need you desperately. I humble myself under your mighty hand. And he did the things that he did at first. It's so, so important. It's a big test. So often we try and build systems to maintain the success that we've got rather than stay in the place of prayerful dependence that got us there in the first place. That's why we make a big deal of church prayer meetings because a chair, church prayer meeting is one of the litmus tests of where our dependence really rests. If you think you don't need to come and pray, you've got an issue. We we need Jesus as much now as ever we did before. Do you know what? I so often feel completely out of my depth? I'm like, God, I need you. If you don't come through, I don't know what's gonna happen. And power is a great proving ground for character. And two other truths that will really help you handle power and influence and success well are these truths that, firstly, power always provides a platform to serve other people. If God gives you any sense of significance or influence, it's for this purpose, so you can give it away and serve other people. Power is never self-serving. It's always for the purpose of laying your life down to give it away. Bill Hybels says these days there are many Christian books saying um, get rich quick and be successful. He said if Jesus wrote a book he'd say give everything away and love people unconditionally. That's the book Jesus would write. <laughs> he wouldn't write a book saying get rich quick. He'd say give everything away and love sacrificially. Because when he makes you significant it's so that you can serve. Martin Luther King Jr. said... Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verbs agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And this is the Jesus that we're following. We're following the Jesus who holds all things in his hand, who sustains all things by the power of his word. Not one day goes by where he doesn't sustain everything. And yet Philippians 2 says, Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, humbled himself even to death on a cross. That's the God that you're serving. Jesus doesn't just show us his preference when he serves. He shows us what God is like. God is a servant. In God's essence, he is a servant. Wayne Gruden, when he tries to define the love of God, he defines it in this way. He says, God eternally gives of himself to others. If you want a definition of what love is, God eternally gives of himself to others. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not about ascending. It's about descending. You want to be great in the kingdom, learn to wash someone else's feet. Learn to go the extra mile. Learn to sacrificially love. If you are a husband in this room, one of your greatest joys and your greatest responsibilities is to love your wife and lay your life down for her as Christ does for the church. Do you know your job as a husband is not to lord it over or be in charge. Your job as a husband is to empower your wife so that she can be the greatest woman on planet earth. Because you're called to be like Jesus and that's what real men are like. They serve like Jesus. They live to empower. They live to lift other people up and say, come on, I am with you. I am with you. I'm here to serve. I'm here to lay my life down. Mother Teresa once said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus I serve because I love Jesus and ultimately all of this it comes back to worship doesn't it when you have success when you feel like God's given you responsibility, authority just take a moment to say Jesus none of this was from me this is all from you This is all from you, it's all to you, it's all because of you. And one day I will lay my crown at your feet and worship you forever. Because you are the source of all living things. And all dominion and authority belongs to you. God gives you power, turn it into something meaningful. Worship.